Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's what the immune system is really good at, is identifying foreign invaders or injury, tissue injury, and helping with recovery and repair. What the bad side, the ugly side of nutrition is chronic inflammation. So this is long-term, low-grade simmering. It's like a, a you know simmering, bubbling pot where your body is constantly producing inflammatory mediators which are toxic. I mean, the goal of inflammatory cells is to get rid of the virus, to kill it, to get, you know, to, uh, and so this, what we've learned in the last decade is this low grade chronic inflammation is linked head to toe illness. I mean, Alzheimer's, dementia, stroke, heart disease, cancers, diabetes, there's a component of this chronic inflammation to most of the things. And by the way, chronic inflammation is also toxic to the gut biome, so. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you just heard is a guest for this episode, Dr. Melina Jampolis. Now, before I go into the full introduction for Dr. Melina, If you want to learn more about exercise, more importantly, if you want to learn how to design the workout programs that will work for you, your bodies, and your goals, I got you covered. My book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple, will teach you what you need to know to design exercise programs for mobility, for strength, and for metabolic conditioning, what we traditionally call cardio. I have been educating personal trainers for more than 15 years. And in Smarter Workouts, I teach you what you need to know to design the exercise programs to help you reach your goals. Now, if you're like me, if you're over the age of 40 and and you know you're getting older, you ain't nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is use exercise to slow down the effects of the aging process. That's exactly what my book, Ageless Intensity, High Intensity Workouts to Slow Down Aging, 
That's exactly what I cover in that book. I show you how, I talk about the research of how high-intensity workouts can slow down the effects of the normal biological aging process. And I give you a number of workouts that you can use to extend your lifespan and enhance your quality of life. That's Smarter Workouts and Ageless Intensity. There are links down to both books below in the show notes. They are going to be great resources for you. Now back into your introduction for Dr. Molina. Dr. Molina is a board-certified nutrition specialist. She's a full medical doctor who, and you'll hear her talk about this, frankly grew a little bit disillusioned with the way that we normally do medicine. And, and, and if you're like me, if you're into exercise, if you're in nutrition, you're going to hear some of the stuff she says and you're going to nod your head because here she is, a medical doctor who understands there are a lot of weaknesses and a lot of shortcomings in our current medical system. Well, Dr. Molina wrote a great book called Spice Up, Live Long, where she goes through the benefits of using spices and herbs. The full title for the book is Spice Up, Live Long, a guide to using herbs and spices to live a longer, healthier, and more vibrant life. And if you listen to all about fitness, you know I'm all about helping you learn how to extend our lifespan. Now, I come at it from exercise. That's my specialty. I understand how the body responds to exercise. Nutrition is a key component of that. If you listen to All About Fitness podcasts on a regular basis, you know that I only go to top experts in nutrition. If you don't have an RDN, an RDN is a registered dietitian nutritionist. If you don't have an RDN or an MS, a Master's of Science, or a PhD, or a medical doctor, if you're not one of those, frankly, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk to you about nutrition. So that's why when I got a chance to interview Dr. Molina, I wanted to bring you this conversation because we talk about the role that nutrition should play in healthcare. Not only is Dr. Molina going to talk about which, which herbs and spices can help slow down the effects of aging, and, and some can, it's pretty interesting, but Dr. Molina is like me, a big proponent of using exercise and using lifestyle habits to control how we age. That's exactly what you can get today is a conversation about medical science, nutrition, herbs, spices, exercise, everything that you can use to extend your lifespan. Not only will you extend your lifespan, but you should be able to enhance your quality of life like while you do it. Now, another thing, Dr. Molina is also the host for Practically Healthy, a great podcast. I'm going to have links down below to Dr. Molina's information, her website, her book, her podcast. This is a fascinating, intriguing, and educating conversation today with podcast hostess, author, and medical doctor, Melina Jampolis. Today on All About Fitness, we are speaking with Dr. Melina Jampolis. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. And I just want to say thank you for for coming on. And you are not only you a doctor, but you're also the hostess of the Practically Healthy podcast. Why did you start the podcast? I mean, doesn't it seem like everybody's starting podcasts nowadays? It's but what is it about about what you do as a doctor that you want to bring to the podcast world? I love that. I love that starting question. So, um, you know, just so people know, I'm an internist by training, but I immediately um, left internal medicine after seven years and went into nutrition for, you know, for disease prevention, for weight management. So I've actually been doing that 
um, for 21 years now. And, um, you know, one of only a few hundred doctors in the country who specializes in nutrition. And, you know, I've done a ton of media. I've written five books. I uh, had my own TV show for Discovery Channel called Fit TV's Diet Doctor way back when. Um, and so I'm always, you know, doing content. I'm on live with Kelly and Ryan instead of actually recording something tomorrow for them. And I'm always doing content for other people, um, other organizations. And, and um, you know, people kept saying, oh, you should have your own TV show again. You know, you have so much information. Um, and, uh, you know, TV shows a whole nother deal. So, and over the last 20 years too, I've made so, met so many interesting people in this field, in the health and wellness field, and, and even worked with, you know, celebrities and athletes. So I just decided in November of last year, um, that it was time, you know, to do my own thing to where I had complete control over the content and could get the best information out and the practically healthy, uh, name is because uh, I'm so sick of seeing everybody on social media acting like they're perfect, you know, that experts <laughs> do everything right. And we never eat sugar and we never drink more than a glass of wine and we all exercise, you know, every day and do strength training. So I wanted people to understand that you could be practically healthy, not perfectly healthy. And also I wanted practical tips because I, you and I have talked a little bit offline. We both have young kids. We work hard. You know, it's not practical. Some of the recommendations that these experts recommend. So um, that's why I started the podcast is, you know, to interview really interesting and smart people like you um, and to be able to give listeners practical tips that they can implement right away and don't have to turn their life upside down to be healthy. I don't think health and fitness should be a privilege. I think it should be something that everybody can do no matter how busy you are and no matter what budget you have. No, I, I love that because I don't know about you, but but to me, it seems like in the last two years we've had this, and I don't know if it's just in my peer group on social media, but it seems like we have so many people in the fitness industry who are trying to now become life coaches, right? It's like, I want to coach you to be better. I want to coach you to optimize your health. I want to, and, and in my mind, it's like, I always look at it as I'm an exercise guy. I know what it takes for the body to exercise. That's energy expenditure. When it comes to energy intake, energy intake has so many different levels, and that's nutrition. I always look at somebody who's at least an RDN, and, and that's a registered dietitian nutritionist, the qualification. I've had a few of those guests on, but I very rarely doctor have interviewed a medical doctor who really focuses on nutrition at one point i'm gonna ask a two-part question here what originally was your intent at becoming a doctor because it's not just something you wake up and halfway through your sophomore year go i'm gonna be a doctor today you know you do, it takes a little bit of planning to do that so why did you be originally want to become a doctor and then what was it that made you realize that you need to be as you need to have a specific focus on nutrition so the question is like, why an MD? And then what caused you to pivot to focus on the nutrition aspect? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I became a doctor. It, it, well, first of all, I was always a science nerd. Um, you know, so I was really good in math and science and I loved it. Um, I actually originally wanted to be a vet because I'm also a big animal lover. Um, but, you know, I, I, 
it, it sounds corny, but I, I really did want to help people. Um, I, I went in it for that reason to combine, you know, my passion in, in science um, with, you know, really changing people's lives and making them healthier. That was important to me. It still is. Um, but, you know, very early on. So I did, you know, my training, four years of med school um, and then three years of residency in internal medicine. And um, during that time, you know, you're already a doctor and I was taking care of people all day, every day that had diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And we're coming into the hospital for amputations or heart attacks or kidney failure. And um, I, I just felt like, you know, and I had five to 10 minutes to talk to them about whatever pill I was going to prescribe. And I felt like I was making the pharmaceutical companies a lot of money, but I wasn't actually making people healthier. So I became pretty disillusioned with internal medicine. And after seven years of training and passing my boards, um, I decided I didn't want to be a doctor. And I was living in Silicon Valley in the late nineties, and it was all exciting with the tech and the dot-com. So I decided I was going to go into business and work and started working for a startup medical device company, but it wasn't the same. I didn't have the patient interaction and, um, and, you know, the business world is, has its challenges as well. And um, so I ended up getting a part-time job at a weight loss clinic and in San Francisco. And it was kind of a light bulb moment for me where I realized I could actually much more profoundly change people's lives and impact their health um, through weight loss. But the clinic that I was working at was kind of doing pills and shakes. And I said, I feel like we can do this in a better way um, and, and not still make the pharmaceutical companies or the shake companies millions of dollars. So um, at that time, back in 2001, there wasn't a lot of education for there still isn't, but for physicians. So I kind of embarked on this journey of, of, of learning, you know, through conferences and journals and books. And then in 2004 became a board certified physician nutrition specialist. Uh, so I took the exam to show competency and there's only still, you know, 300 of us in the United States or less. So, um, you know, but it, it, over the years, it's, it's, uh, it, so that's what I've done. I've just, I've dedicated my career to um, disease management and prevention through nutrition and lifestyle. So like you say, you're a fitness guy, I'm a nutrition doc, you know, but that it, it, they don't work in isolation. So if I don't know about nutrition, if I don't know about stress management, if I don't know about lifestyle, I can't be as effective. It's, they don't work in isolation. So, you know, I appreciate kind of the uh, synergy and collaboration with, with what you do. But so I left, you know, so I'm, I'm back to being a doctor, but I just focus on nutrition and I get people off medications instead of putting them on on a daily basis. And it's been amazing. Never look back. Well, in, in, anybody who's a personal trainer out there or anybody who really pays attention to their nutrition and focuses on their nutrition, I believe is probably shaking their head up and down right now because they recognize that that our medical industry right now is a fallacy of we'll prescribe this, we'll do this, and it doesn't really get to the cause. Why? Because you can look at a lot of a lot of our health issues really can be traced back to nutrition. 
Really? I mean, I, I think that's we, we can agree on that. And it comes down to, I mean, obesity is such, a, is such an issue. But what is it? How can nutrition, and this is such a loaded question, doctor. I don't even think, even if we were scheduled a whole mini-series, like a whole eight-episode arc, I don't think you'd be able to get through this, con- this, this question. But what is it about nutrition? Why, why is nutrition so important for optimal health? How come I can't just take a pill or can't just get a shot once or whatever for, for my best health? Why is it that we need to place that focus on nutrition? Well, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, about why you can't just take a pill. I mean, first of all, I agree with you. I think nutrition plays a role in almost every disease in the body, every system, certainly head to toe. And it's not just obesity because, you know, that that's a whole nother conversation because, uh, you know, and that's what I really try to emphasize because we live in such an obesogenic environment, meaning that everything promotes weight gain almost. Um, but why can't you just take a pill? It's because nutrition is complicated. Um, food is complicated. Uh, and this is what we're learning in nutrition. Anybody who talks about specific micronutrients or macronutrient ratios, you know, which vitamins, minerals, you know, they don't work in isolation. They work synergistically. So, you know, yes, an apple has fiber. You could take a fiber pill. An apple has vitamins. You could take those, but they're never going to be in the form that nature intended, which means absorption, nutrients that work together. So it's really this, and this is why nutrition science is so complicated. Complicated and the headlines seem so, you know, opposite sometimes is, is because we don't understand everything, but, but, you know, we're certainly, I think one of the most exciting kind of things in the last decade in terms of, of why nutrition is so important is what we're learning about the microbiome. So the bacteria that live in your gut, um, good and bad and their balance and how that impacts overall health. So, I mean, you know, it's, Yes, you can take individual pills to to or or vitamins and supplements, but you know they're just never going to be the same as food in terms of bioavailability, how the body uses it, um, you know synergy. And I really do believe in terms of disease prevention, uh, in particular, um, that and regardless of your weight, you can you you can benefit whether you're 300 pounds or a fitness model by improving, you know, uh, I, you know, Hippocrates said it thousands of years ago, let food be thy medicine. And, and he was a hundred percent right. I mean, you know, with, uh, so yeah, it is, we could do an eight part mini series uh, going through every system, but that would be my, uh, my short response to that. And that's where I think, you know, it, this can be such a this can be such a loaded topic, but I think you hit the nail right on the head. Is it is so individual? I mean, we each carry our own our own biochemistry, and I love the fact that you brought up gut biome because that that was going to be one of the, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about. What is it? I mean, people hear that, and I've had one or two experts on the show talk about or refer to the gut biome. But why? What is it that we've discovered about the, the gut in the last few years that really has caused us to kind of shift on that and say, you know what? This is we've understood this. We've known this is here all along. But now, why is there a much much greater interest? Why is it that we're now starting to really delve into understanding how the gut can help regulate many physiological functions? Yeah, it's it's been a really exciting you know discovery. And yes, we are moving. By the way, we're moving 
very much towards precision or personalized nutrition. The NIH has a 10-year initiative to really try to make things more precise. The gut-gut biome is a huge part of that. My particular interest is more on the genetic front, nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. But in terms of the gut biome, you know, we 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 didn't always understand the complexity of it. So this is a relatively new phenomenon. And what we understand now is, is that it, it really, there's, there's all sorts of connections. First of all, I mean, let's start with immune health. That's on everybody's radar right now. 70% of your immune system is actually in your gut. And it's the first barrier of entry for any, you know, everything that we eat, whether it's toxic or not. So the integrity of the gut lining is essential. And that's very strongly based on the bacterial balance. We also understand that there's a gut brain connection where it determines mood disorders and and can have an impact on that. We understand that, you know, uh, different bacteria produce different metabolites. It's not just the food you eat, it's how it's metabolized and what it turns into. So for example, there's a specific we, you know, we, everybody's arguing back and forth about red meat. Is it good? Is it bad? What we know is that in meat eaters, there is a actually type of bacteria uh, that produces a metabolite that actually is what is toxic to the heart and what causes mm-hmm. heart damage. So, you know, it's, it's very complicated, but um, we know that improvements in the, in the gut biome can actually improve blood sugar control regardless of your weight, regardless of what you eat, as long as you're supporting the healthful bacteria. So um, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting area. And unlike genetics, it's more, you know, modifiable. So there's, you know, I, I, my interest in genetics is that I can tell people what nutrients are important, that they may be genetically predisposed, but that's all I can do. I can't change their DNA we can change the gut biome and, mm. and we can change it for the good or the bad, you know, and, um, and unfortunately the standard American diet, sad and, and phys- even physical inactivity changes it for the worse, you know? So I think, I mean, we, we, there's bacteria that impact lactate threshold, right? That, so you can improve exercise performance, reduce, you know, uh, raising lactate threshold. It's, it's, it seems like endless, the uh, importance of it, but, um, and again, it's, you know, having more, more plants, which is, you know, plant slant. You don't have to be vegetarian. That's another thing I can't do. I can't do intermittent fasting. And I, <laughs> I tried to be vegan. I made it till about 10 AM. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but there's a lot you can do that that's uh, actionable with the gut. So I think it's, it's exciting and it's, it's essential for optimal health and not just gut related diseases, diseases from head to toe that you wouldn't think were related to the gut necessarily. Well, and that's, and then, and, and that's, I love that because and that's what I think is so important for people to understand. Like, I think I explained to you, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I got to cut my three pack a day habit first. Um, yeah. But no, I think I explained to you that, that through the health club company I work for, a lot of our, uh, well, all of our um, personal training clients are eligible for a 30 day coaching program. And I have my call a little bit later today. So for listeners, you'll hear me talk about this at another point. But one of the things they're going to do is going to have me go through, I'm not sure if it's a three to five day elimination diet, and then we'll start introducing things back in. 
because that's been my understanding and you hit the nail right on the head right out of the, right out of the, the, the park is I might have slightly different enzymes than the next person than the next person which is why nutrition has to be so individualized that I can't tell you this is what I did and it's going to work for you because I a I don't know and b you have a whole different biochemistry than I do but where I want to, the next question I want to ask doctor has to do with inflammation right because we hear all this stuff about well too much inflammation this but number one what inflammation in, in, in the short sense, in the acute sense, inflammation is an important part of our immune system, correct? Can you, can you describe the initial inflammatory response as it relates to like disease? Meaning that if, if a disease, if, if a virus or disease enters my body or if I get injured, inflammation is kind of the initial response, correct? Right, yeah. So, I mean, that inflammation is one of my favorite topics and I've been lecturing, I've been doing a keynote about reducing inflammation for a decade now. Um, but, and I always explain there, what I'm talking about is chronic inflammation. What you're talking about is acute inflammation. So acute inflammation, you bang your knee, it swells up and gets red and then, you know, it gets better or uh, a virus enters your body and triggers an acute inflammatory response. And that's essential. And people, you know, to that's what the immune system is really good at is identifying foreign invaders or injury, tissue injury, and helping with recovery and repair. What the bad side, the ugly side of nutrition is chronic inflammation. So this is long-term low grade simmering. It's like a, a, you know, simmering bubbling pot where your body is constantly producing inflammatory mediators, which are toxic. I mean, the goal of inflammatory cells is to get rid of the virus, to kill it, to get, you know, to, uh, and so this, what we've learned in the last decade is this low grade chronic inflammation is linked head to toe illness. I mean, Alzheimer's, dementia, stroke, heart disease, cancers, diabetes, there's a component of this chronic inflammation to most of the things. And by the way, chronic inflammation is also toxic to the gut biome. So um, one of the big things that I have been talking about is, you know, and, and, and the best way to reduce chronic inflammation is through diet. Exercise also plays a role, but there is a tremendous amount of research. Um, one of my favorite, I don't, you know, I tend to talk about dietary patterns, not specific foods or nutrients as being good and bad, although there are some that are good and bad. Um, but, and one of them, there's two, there's the Alternative Healthy Eating Index, which was an index that was created out of Harvard, very similar to the Mediterranean diet, looking at chronic inflammation, and you can reduce it just by by 30% or more. And there's also a new um, rating scale that we're using a lot in nutrition research called the Diet Inflammatory Index and linking that so you know to diseases and disease prevention. So I think it's 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 essential. It's one of the most important aspects of nutrition is to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. 
And uh, it's not hard. Again, it's it's eating more plants. We just don't eat enough plants, fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, you know, um, and they're all loaded. And you asked earlier about why you can't just take a pill, because a lot of these plants have things called phytonutrients, plant-based nutrients, polyphenols, flavonoids, these things that really can't be recreated in a lab, or if they can, we don't know how to do it exactly like nature does it. So, um, you know, that's why I wrote my book about herbs and spices, because they're such a low hanging fruit for, you know, optimizing your diet and reducing inflammation. And I think there's probably nothing more important that people can do, regardless, again, of what weight you're at. So that's I like to do things that are empowering, that aren't just focused on weight loss, because there's a lot more to it than that. I love that, and, and you answered the question on inflammation exactly. That's exactly where I wanted to go with it. Is that difference between the acute response, the inflammatory response, and the chronic low-grade inflammation? That 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 really is what can what can have an effect on the body, and that's where I think people don't understand that. Say you are working with a nutritionist. Like I know when I have this coaching call, I'm just using myself as an example, that if I'm going to be doing an elimination diet, that when I do that, I'm actually going to scale down my exercise for a few days because I know that high-intensity exercise can create that inflammatory response. So therefore, I'm going to kind of moderate or modulate my exercise, down, down-regulate the intensity while I go through that, while I go through the elimination diet because I'm really trying to reset some of the, the markers in my body. Is it important when, when so, if somebody does, if a listener, I'll just use myself as an example, is that the right approach? So if somebody's going to take that step of, hey, I'm going to go on, a, uh, on an elimination diet, what other things can, should they be doing to really put themselves to get the best information they can? Because there's no need, the way I look at it is there's no need for me to do that for a few days and not do everything I can to get the best information I can get about what may or may not cause inflammation in my diet. Well, I don't, you know, if I'm, if you want me to tell you honestly what I think, I do not think most people need elimination diets. I think you need a clear symptom that you're trying to understand. Um, Unless you're measuring inflammation in the blood every day, um, it's complex. There's a lot of confounding variables, right? There's a lot of different things that contribute. Um, you know, and, and by the way, I don't think it can be done correctly in just a few days because the idea of an elimination diet is to reset. So say you're having whatever people do it for GI issues, or they're having some, a rash, some sort of systemic, you know, eczema, they're having a brain fog, something like that, um, that they think may be linked to the diet. You know, you cut everything out and then you gradually reintroduce it over a few weeks and give it three days to mm-hmm. see if that symptom is uh, reinitiated. So um, it's a it's a longer term process. It is is something that takes you know at least three weeks, I would wow. say, to properly um, to properly do. And you know, exercise, intense exercise. You know, that's your norm. That's what you do. So, yes, you may get a little bit of, you know, acute inflammation as your muscles are are recovering, um, but you're not going to get that 
chronic inflammation. I just don't want people to think that they shouldn't exercise because it causes inflammation. It's, it's much more on the acute side, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, there is obviously functional medicine is a huge field right now. It's growing quickly. Most experts recommend cutting dairy and gluten and all these things. But what the research shows is most people that think that they're sensitive to gluten are not. Um, when they've done, they give them fake muffins and they say this has a ton of gluten in it. And are you having symptoms? And they're like, yes. And it's, it's the gluten-free muffin. So, you know, I think you've got to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. I mean, I elimination diets make sense if you're really having symptoms, in which case the best thing that you can do is keep a symptom journal. And being, I think most people kind of detach themselves from food and aren't aware of how food affects them. So I think that becomes really important in terms of what to do about exercise. You know, again, I'm not sure... I'm not looking for acute inflammation. I'm looking more at symptoms because that's that's really what matters in the whole scheme of things. So, you know, it's hard for me to answer that question. I don't know how you're doing it um, or why you're doing it, you know, and I don't want to poo-poo it. Food sensitivities are real. Um, they're very hard to diagnose. Blood tests are not that accurate. It's about a fifth. You might as well just close your eyes and throw it at a dartboard from my understanding of the science. Um, you know, but I, I do think there, you know, if you are sensitive to foods, if you are sensitive to gluten, again, one of the things that it can do is impair the lining of your gut and allow more toxic compounds to get into your bloodstream and cause that systemic inflammation. So, um, you know, it's a very complex topic and as is a lot with nutrition, which is why I kind of try to simplify it on the podcast and just say, you know, eat more plants, move your body more, sit less, and you'll be well on the way to better health. <laughs> but, but you know what, that, I love that answer though, because it is so accurate. It's so nuanced. It is so, and I have gone through, like I've known people who have done the blood testing. I've not, you know, it's like I've gone through different things and identify, and that's where it's kind of like, on one hand, I kind of look at it as like, are there any commonalities between it? Like if I did a blood test thing and, and what's that going to show versus doing an elimination diet, right? And that's, but I love that answer, doctor, because I want listeners to hear that it's not just one thing. You can't just do one simple thing. And that if a medical doctor like yourself is going to be sitting there going through a battery of different tests, not necessarily related just to the their traditional drugs, but saying, okay, what's really causing this in your body? I mean, that's just consistent with other holistic practitioners that I've spoken with, where it really is, let, let's take a look at this and what might be causing this. Like for my example, I just know, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a sugar junkie, flat out. I'm a flat out sugar junkie, right? I mean, if we didn't have grocery stores, I'd be mugging little old ladies for their Domino sugar packets of Domino sugar in their purses. I, I mean, not really, but that just, I know, I know my issue. The interesting thing is, as, as you're talking, as we're, we're having this conversation, a number of months ago, I, I interviewed a woman by the name of Dr. Tara, who wrote the book, The Secret Life of Fat. And then I, and another uh, interview I did was Dr. Joan Iflin, who did a, a whole book, and her whole thing is on, is on processed food addiction, of how we become addicted to processed food. So I'm putting this in there for listeners. I'm going to have links to those two interviews below, because if you really want a good understanding about some of the issues related to nutrition, we have to combine information that we're getting right now from you along with these other ones and kind of get a better example of what's happening in our body, right? Because 
we have to look at how all this plays out. Now, the question I want to ask from that is, what is it about processed food? I mean, you mentioned like the, the leafy vegetables, you mentioned the leafy plants, and I know that getting food from a package is sometimes the most convenient way to do, but what is it in your experience, doctor, about processed food that we should try to minimize that as much as we are able to, we should try to minimize that in our diets? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have a sweet tooth too, so I'm not going to lie about that. That's part of me being practically not perfectly healthy because um, I'm not going to give up sugar in any diet that says I have to. I'm not going to follow. I'm going to try to find other ways to optimize my health without having to do that because it's just not realistic for me long term. What I, I think you have to be very clear in the in your and how you talk about it. It's not so much processed food as ultra processed mm. food. And ultra processed food is is actually it, it's parts of food brought together. There's actually no real food. Like maybe there's a corn byproduct or, you know, uh, something from a plant that it, it started as. But then the food industry adds, you know, preservatives and sweeteners and emulsifiers and things to make it as deliciously addictive as possible. And sugar is certainly one of those. You know, it triggers uh, you know, lighting up in the brain. When you look at MRIs of people who are addicted, I had an expert on my podcast who you might want to talk to. She's an expert in food addiction from mm -hmm. Yale. And we definitely, you know, a lot of doctors poo poo that, but there are people that are addicted to food and sugar is a big part of that. But these ultra processed foods, first of all, you know, they're, they're designed for overconsumption. They're designed, who can eat just one, you know, Pringle or Lay's? Like, that's a joke, but it's true. It's reality. Salt, sugar, and fat, hyper palatable, great mouthfeel. They don't have the uh, naturally occurring fiber and the, even the chemical structure of the food. So you don't get full with a normal portion. So you just, you, you're, they're designed for overconsumption and they cause rapid spikes in blood sugar or postprandial fatty acids or things like that, that cause inflammation. And, and there's evidence that some of these emulsifiers and artificial sweeteners and flavors may be bad for the gut, may be bad for the brain. So ultra processed foods in my book, Spice Up, Live Long, are one of the biggest age accelerators. So mm. that is really something. And like you said, though, um, I mean, I'm a realist. I'm not going to lie. I'm a busy mom of two. I eat a protein bar for breakfast every morning. I mean, that's just my reality. So, but trying to balance it out with the foods that I talked about, the leafy greens, the beans, the colorful vegetables, the berries, the high intensity interval training, you know, all that stuff counteracts some of that. So, um, you know, that that's it, but it's really the ultra process because you could say, I mean, everything's pasteurized milk is processed, you know, I mean, a lot of things are, and there's a lot of whole grains in a package that are processed and just to make them, you know, so they don't taste like dirt, but so minimally processed is good and limiting ultra processed. And with the sugar, I, like I said, just real quick, just because I like to give practical tips. My biggest thing is don't eat sugar on an empty stomach. Mm. 
because mm-hmm. then it's going to wreak havoc with your blood sugar. It's going to make you want more. Um, it's going to cause a spike in your blood sugar. So for your afternoon coffee break, when your energy is low, if you want to have a little sugar, fine, but have it with a healthy fat or with a lean protein or after a meal to at least manage your blood sugar rise and fall because that can cause inflammation too. So, um, but a little bit of sugar isn't the end of the world. And if it was, I would just ignore it and just, keep <laughs> but, and but, just do more interval training. But, and, but that's why I love, I mean, I love your concept of, of practically healthy on the podcast. You're giving that practical advice. Now, one of the, one of the books that you wrote is a, per, a busy person's guide to permanent weight loss. I love that title, the busy person's guide, because even if we are working at home, even if we are, we, we are busy. And then what is it like from that, from that practical advice, what are one or two things that we can look at for us busy, busy professionals? What are one or two takeaways that we might get that, that would lead to permanent weight loss? And, and real quick, before you answer this, doctor, I want to give you a second to kind of formulate your answer. But I, I tried, I've been trying to personally change my language around why do we need to lose weight? Why not just maintain a healthy body weight? I've been really trying to get people to think about, you know, we should exercise to maintain a healthy body weight, not necessarily to lose weight, just because I think taking that that approach to it makes it a little punitive, but how can we maintain a healthy body weight? So with that, what would be what would be a, a one or two little things that we could do for the busy person who wanted to permanently manage a healthy body weight? Yeah, well, let me just address real quick what your comment, because um, first of all, you know, the dirty little secret about exercise is for the majority of people, particularly women, it does not lead to weight loss. Diet is 80% of the equation. So starting exercise, exercise should not be associated with weight loss, in my opinion. It It should be a health behavior. It should not be for weight loss. And in terms of maintaining a healthy weight, that's great, except for that 70% of Americans are not at a healthy weight. And I actually just debated an expert, um, you know, on, on the doctors that was talking about how there's no evidence that being overweight is associated with disease. You can be metabolically healthy and obese. That has been disproven. It is you, you may temporarily be healthy. You may not have diabetes or high cholesterol or high blood pressure, but you will eventually get something related to being overweight, but losing just five to 10% of your weight. So if you're 220 pounds and you're a woman and you lose just 20 pounds, you're not going to fit into your high school genes, but you're going to dramatically decrease your risk of diseases related to weight. So in terms of easy, practical tips, I mean, I do a Trader Joe's shopping list for my patients because I'm all about having easy planning. I think if there's one thing that you can do, it's planning ahead a little bit. And it's not, I'm not a great meal planner person because I kind of like just to eat what I feel like, but I have like an arsenal of healthy lunches, healthy breakfast, have it, and I have a plan B. You know, so it's, it's, if I'm planning, just planning, if I'm going out, I'm going to decide ahead of time, am I going to have wine or dessert or maybe a little indulgent entree, which one am I going to have? So having a plan is the most important thing that you can do. And also a plan B, I think. Um, And I think that the newest, you know, in terms of the fitness side of it, which is more your domain, but I think just sitting less. 
I mean, there is a tremendous amount of research on longevity and, and even just calorie burning. People don't realize that like NEAT, non-exercise adaptive thermogenesis. So I see that you're standing doing your podcast. Now you're making me think that I should be standing doing my podcast. But I, I, you know, I talk on, I stand while I'm talking on the phone. Any excuse to sit less is probably going to contribute more to weight loss or weight maintenance than just exercising whatever it is, the, the minimum. Certainly, it's better than 30 minutes of walking a day. So a more active lifestyle, moving more and, and planning ahead, um, I, I think are really, really key things because people just get into trouble when they don't have a plan. And and um and it doesn't need to be perfect. Again, it just, you know, I, I have frozen turkey meatballs from Trader Joe's that I'll heat up. You know, I'm not like constantly making my own fresh cut personal trainer perfect meals, you know. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think I think those are two things that, you know, are, are just simple that really can that are doable long term that don't require you to turn your lifestyle upside down that can really impact your, not only your weight, but your health, which really at the end of the day is what we care about. The number on the scale doesn't define you and it doesn't make you age more gracefully necessarily. You know, the health and the lifestyle, the behaviors, when you look at populations that live the longest, you know, that's really what makes the difference. That, that I, I love that answer because you're so right. It's those habits, right? And and I think I think this time of year, especially, for listeners, we're recording this in early January. This time of year, people want those. They want that sound bite. They want that. What can I do? But it, you can't. It's almost virtually impossible to sound bite habits. You either have a habit, you create a habit, or you don't. And and you're talking earlier about minimally processed foods. When I do my meal plan, it was funny. An RDN mentioned this a long time ago, but she's like, her point was like, when you do your meal planning and meal prep on Sundays, you're processing your food. Like I'm chopping up fruits and vegetables. So I just want to mention, mention that if you're doing meal prep and chop, washing your veggies and chopping them up to prepare, number one, I try to do that most weeks and it makes all the difference in the world of having stuff ready to throw in. I'm a big omelet guy. So in the evening, I like having veggies to throw in omelets. That just makes, that's easy for me. I'm a, I'm a single guy. My kids live with their mother. So you know, if I'm with them during the week, I'm cooking something and we're making something at their house. But other than that, I'm pretty much cooking for myself here. So that makes it minimally easy. Now, the, the question where I want to get to, because I love, love, love your latest book. I love the fact that you wrote Spice Up, Live Long. And what 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 is it about spicy food, doctor? Because I'm one of these people, I love putting jalapenos. I live here in Southern California. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of avocados, but I, I recognize the benefit of the healthy fat of avocados. So I've been learning how to add them into different things. But on the other hand, I love jalapenos. I love spicy food. So I, that's why I wanted to you know, be able to follow up with you on this. What is, what, number one, why did you write the book? What is it about spicy food that we need to learn more about? Well, first of all, it's not just spicy food. It's spices and herbs in general. So oh, you're right. you, don't have to, you don't have to eat spicy. A lot of people don't like it. Um, although eating spicy food can just spice it, you know, super spicy, the heat uh, can decrease your risk of dying by 14%, which is super cool. But again, I'm all about practically 
healthy tips. And the best thing about, so why I wrote the book real quick is I attended a symposium probably eight or nine years ago that was put on by the National Institute of Health. And it was about the brain and curcumin, which is the active ingredient in turmeric and about how there were 50 different things in the brain that turmeric could do to help improve health disease prevention. And I was like, geez, if, if this is true of turmeric, what about other spices and herbs? And so I started researching it and I just thought, my God, this is such a low hanging fruit for optimal health. Um, and cultures all over the world, except for ours, are big fans of herbs and spices. So um, I, that's, I wrote my first book, Spice Up, Slim Down, because everybody wants to lose weight. But it's not just about that. The biggest thing about herbs and spices is that they reduce inflammation. So we talked earlier about how important reducing inflammation is. This is an easy way. I mean, just putting rosemary on a hamburger decreases the amount of cancer-causing compounds by up to 70%. So they can really reduce inflammation. They're very powerful antioxidants. And many of them have really interesting functions in terms of uh, inhibiting the start or the perpetuation of cancer cells. So, and it's just a matter. So eggs is like the best vehicle for like, that's what I do with my kids. I put oregano on their eggs every morning. Oregano is great for gut health. It's great for lung health. It's great. You know, it's, it's such an easy thing to do adding herbs and spices. And you talk about, you know, uh, avocado. First of all, I never tell people they should eat foods that they don't like. So just because avocados are healthy doesn't mean you should like force yourself to try to eat them. Although I love them, but putting cilantro and cumin and a little heat in the guacamole, you know, is, is fantastic. And you amped up the health benefits. So whether you eat perfectly healthy or not, you're healthier adding in herbs and spices, and they promote not only weight loss to some extent, it's particularly heat, ginger, you know, things like that, and turmeric, reduce inflammation, but also longevity uh, and disease prevention. So, you know, there's not, we don't talk a lot about it in this country. It's not part of our culture, like uh, in other countries. So I really wanted to make it um, accessible and as exciting as I could, you know, uh, for nutrition. And, and so, but this book, you know, spice up, live long. And I hired, I I'm not a great cook. That's my little secret. In addition to having a sweet tooth, I'm not a great cook. So I hired this incredible chef, um, from Soho house, a very famous restaurant here in LA to create amazing spice and herb filled recipes that don't necessarily have to be spicy, but will definitely improve your health. Well, and I know we got just a, a very limited amount of time here, but what role, because this is an issue, and, and, and I like using myself as an example, sometimes I get a little hungry. Intermittent fasting means I get a little over hungry, so sometimes I'll eat a little bit more than I should. And, and leptin, and for listeners, leptin is a hormone that regulates that regulates hunger, that, that tells us to, okay, leptin tells us to stop eating. Ghrelin is the hormone that kind of st st uh, stimulate hunger. And my understanding in reading through this is that sometimes if there's an imbalance between leptin, the signal to eat, and ghrelin, the, the signal to stop, that it can cause people to overeat. Now, for people that, that might have an issue with that or that might tend to eat things a little quickly, what, what role do spices and herbs play in helping us kind of slow down 
and and eat and digest food the way we're well number one how are we supposed to digest food because we're not meant to just to shove things in our mouth like a lot of us might do when we get busy but so the question would be why is it important to allow our food to digest and and what role do herbs and spices play in kind of helping aid and support that digestion process well, um, you know, the, in terms of timing of eating, it's it's more about the fact that it takes, you know, up to 20 minutes for the gut to communicate to the brain that it's full. So if you eat too quickly, if you inhale your food, you're not giving your body time to induce satiety or fullness. So, so slowing things down, and, and that's why you know, that's one of the reasons that eating foods whole in their intact form. Think about how long it takes you to drink a glass of apple juice versus to eat a bowl of applesauce Mm. versus to eat an apple. It takes you a lot longer to eat the apple. It's higher in fiber, which slows the digestion down. So eating foods whole, you know, another thing we talk about eating more plants, but eating more whole foods. So for somebody like you, I would recommend increasing bulk. So your first meal when you break the fast has to be bulky because it's got to take you longer to eat so that your stomach can signal to the brain that you're full. In terms of how herbs and spices play a role with that, I mean, the biggest one I would say is probably ginger. And studies have shown that having a cup of ginger tea before a meal makes you feel fuller faster. So, you know, but, and there's also a behavioral aspect, right? So, you know, if you're sipping a cup of tea and it's hot, you're not slamming it, taking the time. So, you know, some of this is behavior and not just, you know, the physical properties of of herbs and spices, but, you know, also eating spice. If you're going to eat spicy food, you're not going to inhale it. You got to drink water in between. So, you know, there, there's different components where herbs and spices can help, um, but they also help with the gut biome. They they act as prebiotics. So, prebiotics are what feeds the good bacteria in your gut. Everybody takes probiotic supplements, but research actually shows that prebiotics may be even more relevant in terms of gut health. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things, but this is why, you know, this is, this is a reason why, like, if I was your doctor, I might not have you doing intermittent fasting. I, 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 from what it sounds like, it may not be the best approach for you. So, um, but certainly ways, you know, I would focus on bulk and fiber for that initial meal to, that's just going to force you to slow down because you can't, you can, you have to chew a carrot, you know, you have to chew uh, an apple. And and so, you know, it's not just herbs and spices, but certainly they can help. They can help with everything. <laughs> but, but that's, and honestly, it's, I've shifted, you just, you hit on one of my favorite snacks right now, which is apples with a little bit of peanut butter, right? Is because I get the, get the protein, fat, whatever from peanut butter and, and like the fiber from the apple, but I also I'm a big celery peanut butter fan. Um, and just so you know, I was hesitant on the whole intermittent fasting for a while. I kind of thought it was like a trend thing until my primary care physician a couple of years ago was like, hey, you might really want to consider this. So it, it just, it, it's just, but the point being why I bring that up is my primary care originally suggested that. And now you're suggesting maybe something else. And the fact is for, for, for listeners, you really need to listen to the experts and decide what's going to work best for your life. Because one of the reasons why I like intermittent fasting is when I travel a lot and when I'm teaching workshops, I'm on my feet all day. And so it gets me to the ability, because the last thing I want to do if I teach a workshop 
shop is take a lunch, eat something, then I come back to try to speak in front of a group in the afternoon, um, like run down, you know what I mean? So I, I tend to, so it helps me just regulate and maintain my energy all day long. So the, anyway, that, that's one of the reasons why I found it. So I love that fact that different people have different advice because to the listener, you got to find what works for you. No matter, right. the only thing that matters is that you you find somebody like Doc Molina who knows what the heck they're talking about, right? Right. But I am a big fan of intermittent fasting for the right person, and there's a lot of research on the health benefits. And actually, the best thing is to do time restricted eating, which is eating between ten and six. That's the best research. Having your evening meal earlier. So, I mean, it's very nuanced. But I don't want to discourage listeners from doing intermittent fasting because. I think it's legit. It's not a fad, but it doesn't work for everybody. And that's the thing. There is no size fits all. And, and that, 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 that's a beautiful, and that, that's a great way to end it. So Dr. Molina, you do the practically healthy, you do the practically healthy podcast. You just wrote your fifth book, spice up, live long. And I love See, sometimes I do the front part, but for listeners, it's spice up, live long, a guide to using herbs and spices to live a longer healthier, more vibrant life. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? That's that's why we're, that's why we listen to these podcasts. That's why we look for this content. So doc, what, what are the, what's the contact information for people that want you in their ears on a regular basis to get that advice? Where can they find the podcast and where can they get the information that you put out? Yeah, thanks. Well, the Practically Healthy podcast, Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. But just to learn more about me and my central point is just drmelina.com, D-R-M-E-L-I-N-A.com. And I'm not great about blogging. I wish I was, but you can find all five of my books. You can link to the podcast. Um, You know, I'm also on Instagram, although I'm not that active there, but you can find my TV appearances there. I still do a lot of television, uh, just Dr. Molina on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and um, But I prefer face-to-face. I'm not as good on the social media side of life. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's our generation, right? I mean, as, as Gen Xers, I think we are, we do appreciate that that face-to-face interaction. I know that'll change as we go, but I think those of us that are heart, right in the middle of Gen X, we still right. we still appreciate that. And so, Dr. Molina, I really hey, I appreciate your time. Now, when's your next ski vacation? Just just and, and now, oh. one one of the things I want to come to real quick. I try to ask is your your how do you what's your favorite way to stay active? I, I forgot to ask that earlier. I try to ask guess that and and so what is your favorite way to stay active i know you mentioned skiing in an off an offline conversation but what are the ways that you like staying active yeah no i'm a big i'm a big skier my kids are on the race team and i used to race when i was little so that's still one of my favorites but um at the beginning of the pandemic i actually got a home spinning bike because i'm a i love spinning i just and i love zoning out and just really doing intense and feeling my body work hard and so um yeah i'm a i'm a big spinning fan and i love doing push-ups i i've challenged a few of my podcasts guest to push up contest, which uh, I, I've lost every single time, but it's still really fun to get down there and do the push up challenge. So um, those are probably my two favorites. And my next ski vacation, yeah, we're going for MLK week every every long weekend uh, we can, but we just got back from two and a half weeks. So I'm feeling good. Although my knee is a little sore, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a matter, but you know what to do. You know how to baby it. And it's uh, allow you to get out and get skiing again. Well, well, Dr. Molina, I really appreciate your time today. And then I appreciate being able to talk about the benefits of nutrition as it supports optimal health. I appreciate the opportunity. Stay well. That was a fun conversation. 
if you want to learn how to use herbs and spices to, to slow down aging and, and to add spice and variety to your life, pick up a copy of Dr. Molina's book, Spice Up, Live Long. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. And if you want to learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, you can pick up a copy of one of my books, Ageless Intensity or Smarter Workouts. There'll be links down below to that. There'll be links down below in the show notes. I might not be able to talk right now, but I am going to wrap up a little bit from the conversation. Again, if you like the podcast, if you listen to it, please share All About Fitness with your friends. Please give it a review, whatever platform you listen to All About Fitness on. Sharing the podcast, giving a review, that just helps promote the podcast and allows other people to find out about this work. There's a great conversation. Again, when, when I talk nutrition, I don't want to waste your time going through pseudoscience. I want to talk to people who know what they're talking about. And and you heard there's a little bit of conflicting evidence there, right? You heard I had my one doctor, my, my primary care physician, tell me to start intermittent fasting. Dr. Molina said, well, that might not be the best, best way for you to go. And that's the thing. We don't know. We really don't know. We have an educated guess. We can make an educated guess based on what we know about the body's response to this or that. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to, to the best things for your body, we just don't know because every individual is different. And what might work well for me might not work well for Dr. Molina. What might work well for Dr. Molina might not work well for you. So what we need to do, what you need to do, is find qualified experts like Dr. Molina, like myself, like other people that I have on the podcast, is find qualified experts, listen to the information, read the information they provide, and identify the best, what's best for your needs and best for your lifestyle. That's the most important thing, is can you implement it and integrate it into your lifestyle? That's what I'm trying to bring you on the All About Fitness podcast. We might talk to a physical therapist one week. We might talk to a medical doctor next week. We might talk to a personal trainer the next week. Everything I'm going to try to bring you is with one single focus. And that's how do we use exercise, nutrition, lifestyle, habits? How do we use these things to enhance our quality of life? My focus, one of of my beliefs is that if we enhance our quality of life, we can do that by extending our lifespan. So a lot of the interviews I have on here are all about that, how to use exercise, how to extend your lifespan, how to enhance the quality of life through exercise. You can get that information on my website, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That, well, that's my email. My email is Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can, my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com, great resource information, got a lot of blogs there. If you join my mailing list, I only send out one or two emails a month. I don't want to spam your inbox. I just want to put out good information to help you understand how to use fitness, how to use exercise the safe way, the right way, the way that you need it for your needs. You can always follow me, All About Fitness Podcast. That's All About Fitness Podcast on both Instagram and YouTube. And as always, thanks for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness. All About Fitness.